Well, good morning, Harvest. I hope you're you're warmed up for tonight. Y'all gonna be there tonight for the Praise by the Pier? That was about 20% of the people in the room. If you don't know, we have this thing going on tonight, Praise by the Pier, we'd love for you to join us, seven o'clock. I'll be there, I can't wait, Uh, it's gonna be wonderful. And we get to declare the name of Jesus so loudly and so boldly in the start of Coast Guard Festival, downtown Grand Haven, and no one's gonna stop us. Isn't that gonna be awesome? So I'll look forward to that tonight. Turn with me in the book of Mark chapter 10. We're gonna start in verse 35 here in a moment, but uh, I'm gonna focus in on a particular story at the end of the passage today, Uh, but we're continuing in this series titled The King is in the Room, where we see different interactions that Jesus has with people in the Gospels. And at this point in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. So he's traveling up now from the south to the north to Jerusalem for the Passover. And uh, you, you almost get the sense if you were to read the whole gospel up at this point, Jesus' demeanor is starting to shift to be more direct. He's not talking in parables anymore. He's, he's being more direct to his disciples and his sights on just one thing. Do you know what I mean? Like when you get in the zone And if you ever have like an in the zone type thing, next week, right after this service, um, I'm gonna be hopping in a car with my family and all of our luggage to travel 29 hours over the road to Montana for vacation. And I get in the zone when I drive. Like there is no stopping, that is the Mueller way. We put a kitty potty in the car and I'm just kidding. We'll we'll stop for bathroom breaks and and gas obviously, but I get in the zone and you know, uh, just like we're gonna see in a moment, Jesus is in the zone and the disciples ask stupid questions. When I'm in the the zone driving, my disciple, the children in the back seat, we're 29 hour drive, about two hours into the drive, what inevitably is gonna be asked of me? Are we, like, how far are we? Are we gonna be there soon? Like, what, what are we gonna do? What can I do? What's gonna, you know, and I'll just say, Jesus has more grace and mercy than I do in those moments. What do you mean, are we there? You know this is a 29-hour drive. This is gonna take a little bit. Like, no, we're not there yet. We're not even to Chicago yet. <laughs> Jesus knows what's coming. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. It's about to be the Passover. Jesus dies on Passover. And he's trying in this moment to prepare his disciples' hearts for what is about to happen. He's trying to prepare them to know, hey, uh, something bad is going to happen, um, and it's, it's coming very soon. And he even tells three times, he tells the disciples the plan of what's happening when he gets to uh, Jerusalem. He says, guys, listen to me. We're going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered up to the chief priests, and they are going to kill me, but I will rise again in three days. He says that three times to the disciples. And you gotta imagine what the disciples are thinking when Jesus says that in that moment. Like, um, we're in the height of your ministry. We kind of have a brand now. We're kind of a thing. Um, People know you. There's a lot of people being healed. There's a lot of people who are demon-possessed being delivered. We're seeing uh, some pretty amazing things. We have a pretty good following now, Jesus. Our follower account on Instagram is really high. Um, And so uh, we're also starting to get recognized. Like, your Instagram account is amazing, Jesus. Ours is actually starting to pick up. We are becoming kind of a big deal as well. They're known throughout the land. And Jesus decides in this moment to be like, hey, guys, just by the way, I'm gonna die soon. He's trying to prepare his disciples and three times he does that, the disciples write it off. In fact, the first time was an interesting exchange with Peter in chapter eight where Peter, Jesus says that and Peter pulls him aside, he's like, Jesus, come here, come here, come here, come here. Um, 
not on script, man. Like this whole, like, I'm going to die thing, this, the people don't want to hear that. Uh, go back to the healings. Go back to the, uh, the, the parables if you want. Like, do something. To, don't, this whole, you're scaring people about this I'm going to die thing. And do you remember what happens? Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And then the second time in chapter 9, Jesus does the same thing. Tells him again, plain as can be, I'm going to die soon, but I will rise again in three days. And it says in 9 verse 32, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. I would be. <laughs> like, you, no, you tell him. No, you ask him. Like, what is he talking about? No, you ask him. No, the last guy that asked him, he called Satan. I'm not asking him. <laughs> and then in chapter 10, we get this third time that Jesus says plainly, Soon we are going to be in Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered up to be killed, but I will rise again. And then immediately after that, that's our backdrop getting into this first part of our passage today. Verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. This is the same thing we do as kids when we want ice cream, right? Like, Mom, Dad, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. I just want you to say yes now, and then I'll ask the question, okay? It didn't work for Jesus either. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. They're like, you know what, Jesus? You know, this has become kind of, be, become kind of a big thing and a big deal. And, you know, we are part of your inner circle with Peter, but you just called him Satan. So I think he's on the out. So it's, it's us. We're the sons of Zebedee. We already have a name. We have a brand. We really want you to kind of elevate us. We, we want to be your right hand and your left hand. We want to be the number one and number two. And we want you to kind of tell people about that and let them know that we're kind of your, you know, like there's us and then there's the rest of the disciples. Can you do that for us? says that Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. You, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with, with I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then the pinnacle verse in all of the book of Mark, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is like, really? You, you don't know what you don't know. Did you just, didn't, didn't you hear all of the things I was just telling you about? I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. You want to be at my right and left hand? You know what that means? My right and left hand are going to be two other people suffocating to death on crosses. Is that, that's really what you want right now? You have no idea what you're talking about. And then apparently the kids started fighting in the car, so Jesus had to pull over and talk to all of them, right? <laughs> They're like, who do they think they are? We are just all as important. We, we were with Jesus too with all of the miracles. We've seen all of the same things. Why do they think they can be one and two? And so Jesus is like, guys, you are missing the point of why I'm here. You're thinking about this like the Gentiles think about this, where you would rule over other people. Don't you get it? It's the complete opposite of that. This is not your calling. You are to serve, not to be served. You are to be a slave, not a ruler. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many, Jesus says. And right after this, they came to Jericho. Let's pick up in verse 46. This is where we will be for the lion's share of today. 
says they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, and I'm assuming Jesus probably looked at James and John when he actually said this, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Do you notice it's the exact same conversation, but two drastically different responses. And what makes the difference? I'd argue this morning it's the disposition, the condition of the heart of the person that Jesus is talking to. Here's the big idea this morning. Jesus responds to the desperate. Jesus responds to the desperate. If I can be honest with you this morning, the biggest concern that I have for our church and for the global church and even for myself personally, this is my biggest concern. Sum up in one phrase, lack of desperation. Desperation in a nutshell is defined as having no other options, hopelessly in need of help. This is the problem that rears its ugly head in so many different ways in the church, especially the American church, and for sure in our church. We have a tendency to become arrogantly self-sufficient, don't we? We're good. We don't need anything. We're doing well. Honestly, everything's working right now. I don't need help with anything, really. How are you doing? Good, 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 great. Actually, I'm doing best I've ever done. Great in business, great in, in, uh, in my family. Everything's amazing. Nothing's wrong. No issues. How can I be praying for you? I really don't have anything. <laughs> you don't need to pray for me. I'm good. Um, you know, everything's going well. Well, how's your relationship with Christ going? Good, good, great. Well, you, I mean, you know, like everyone could read the Bible more, you know, and uh, I guess I could probably pray some more, but like that's everyone, right? So, I mean, you know, God knows my heart. I say that, I, I talk with a lot of people and, and that's often the thing where it kind of leads to is I'm pressing in on something in their life maybe and they're like, wait, wait, God knows my heart. They say that as if that's a comforting thing. That's a bigger problem, isn't it? God does know your heart. God does know my heart. Scripture says that man only looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks upon the heart and when God looks at our heart, how would he describe our heart? Would he describe it as arrogant, entitled, self-sufficient, lack of desperation leads to those things and that creeps into the church. James and John, be, I mean, they were practically born in the church, if you will. They were around Jesus for so long his, in his inner circle and they were essentially the original Christian Instagram influencers being like, Jesus, elevate us. Increase our platform. Put us at the same status as you. Make us more important than the other followers. Share with them our cash app that was a joke. I'm sorry. That's stupid. That was a request. We look at that and we think, wow, that's cringy. But if we peel back the layers of our hearts to position, uh, we might find that we swing pretty similar sometimes in our lives. And Jesus is like, you're completely missing it. 
You want elevation, you want platform. I'm telling you, it is far better to humble yourself and to get low and serve. My kingdom is an upside down kingdom compared to this world. You're seeking the wrong thing. Bartimaeus, on the other hand, was the definition of desperate. Waking up every morning since that fateful day of losing his eyesight, and we don't know what happened, but we know he was hopelessly blind, putting on his only possession, his coat, and then feeling his way, groping his way to the same spot that he did every day for how many years, we don't know, to sit down in the mud, possibly if it's raining, in the dirt, alongside the road, to beg for scraps and to beg for food and to beg for money just to survive. He had nothing. He had no other options but to resort to begging. And lo and behold, that's the day that Jesus walks by. And maybe you have a situation happening in your life right now that you have no other options for. Maybe you find yourself in a hopeless circumstance and haven't gotten to the point of begging for help, but you're close. And if I could go a different direction here, maybe everything in your life is going perfect physically, but you have a void in your heart that you can feel, and it's a constant reminder, like something's not right, something is missing. I don't have joy, I don't have peace, I don't have comfort, and I am anxious and fearful all the time. Whatever the status quo is, is just not working right now. Jesus responds to the desperate hearts, and if we are lacking desperation in our hearts, how do we foster that so that we can see Jesus show up and radically change us? So how do we foster a desperate heart? Let's take this right from the text. Number one, see yourself clearly. Verse 46, and they came to Jer Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Did you know this is the only time, this is the only healing in the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where we are given the name of the person who was healed. Isn't that interesting? Look back and you'll see anyone who was healed in the synoptic gospels, like it was a blind man or a demon-possessed man, a woman with a blood issue, uh, a child with a demon, um, a leper, a lame man. It was always just these general terms. But on this one occasion, we learned the name of Bartimaeus. So why is that important to seeing ourselves clearly? It's the fact that we know the name of this man who was healed from his blindness. It's a tribute to the reality that he would have been known among the early church as a follower of Jesus. In fact, many scholars believe that because Bartimaeus was actually named in this story, that he went on to become a church leader in the, church, the early church in Jerusalem. And he was apparently okay with the fact that his name went down on record as one who was a blind beggar who met Jesus and now can see. It was his testimony. He's like, hi, welcome to church. I'm Bartimaeus. I once was a blind beggar, and then I met Jesus, and now I can see. That's his testimony. You also have to understand the fact that he was blind, according to Jewish tra tradition at that time, would have been of the faulty belief that either he or his parents would have sinned greatly, which resulted in his blindness. In fact, blindness all over the New Testament is a metaphor or a symbol of the sin of someone. And Bartimaeus probably lived most of his life sitting next to that roadside and people coming up to him being like, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. The religious elite walking by is, you're blind? <laughs> yeah, you are, because you're a sinner. Bartimaeus knew he was desperately hopeless. He also knew he was a sinner. To make matters worse, he acknowledged that he was a beggar. The lowest of the lows in that time period sitting by the side of the road, completely dependent on the scraps and the spare change of other people you don't know and you can't see. 
So my question this morning is like, do you see yourself clearly? When you think of your life, do you instantly go to the checklist of all of the accomplishments and the accolades that are given to you? Or do you truly see that we are hopeless like a blind beggar apart from Jesus because of our sin? People don't like to talk about sin anymore, but we need to talk about sin more because it all starts there. Our sin makes us hopeless. Do you understand? Our sin makes us like a blind beggar sitting by the side of the road begging for scraps and for money and for food. It has to start there in our hearts knowing that we deserve nothing. We are hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. During a President's Chapel at Moody Bible Institute one early Tuesday morning when I was in school, Dr. Michael Easley said this. I'm never going to forget this. He said, the more you realize the reality of your sin, the closer you will be to your Savior. Seeing ourselves clearly requires us to humble ourselves before a holy God and recognize our need, just like Bartimaeus when he, in that hopeless, humiliated state, took the only opportunity that he probably had in getting Jesus' attention as he was walking by. And that's the second thing. Take your opportunity. Take your opportunity. Let's pick up in verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, let me just pause there for a second. We know that in the Gospels, it was said that the news of Jesus spread all over the land. And that popularity of Jesus and his disciples was growing. And with certainty, we can assume that Bartimaeus heard about Jesus for sure. And what do you think it was that Bartimaeus heard about Jesus? What was it that was spreading throughout the land like wildfire? It's the fact that he could heal people. This guy, there's this guy in, Jerusalem, or in, in Israel right now. He's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's doing things that no one else has ever seen before. He's doing the things that we heard as children that only the Messiah could do, only the chosen one can do. And we know that it spread throughout all of the land, and it started all the way back in chapter 1 when Jesus healed a leper, and he told this leper specifically, listen, do not tell anybody what I did. Okay, don't tell anybody. And then Mark 145, it says, but the leper, of course, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And remember, we're in Jericho at this point. This isn't an outlier town. This isn't in a desolate place. This was the main pass-through from the south on the way up to Jerusalem for the Passover. It says there was a great crowd following him. In Luke 18, we have the same story that's accounted for as well. And it says that Bartimaeus, as he's sitting there begging, he's, he, he hears this crowd walking by. And he's like, man, this is bigger than normal. And he pulls on someone's coat walking by. He's like, hey, what's going on? Who, what, what is happening right now? And it says that that person said, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Bartimaeus is like, wait, the, the guy that I've heard about the, the guy who I've been hearing about who can heal people, the guy who has been healing blind people specifically, the guy who we learned about as children that is God's chosen one, the person that only can do these things is the Messiah. Wait, he's walking by right now? Like, has he passed already? Like, you can feel like this urgency bubbling up in his spirit. What does a desperate heart do in this moment? What do you, what do you think is going on in his head? I mean, certainly other people in that crowd are calling out to Jesus like, Jesus, do a miracle, do a sign, do something cool. And he's sitting there probably like behind everyone thinking like, 
this is my only chance. How am I gonna get Jesus' attention? This is the guy that could heal me. How am I gonna get his attention? And he didn't have time to think much, so he just started calling out from his heart. He had one chance, and he wasn't throwing away a shot. Have you ever had just one chance to try to get someone's attention? You ever had that in your life? I, uh, a couple years back, I took my wife to Magnolia Silos for an anniversary. Men in the room, pro tip. If you love your wife, take them to Magnolia Silos in Waco, Texas. And they get to go to the market, they get to see all the things, Magnolia Bakery, it's everything. I, the last service I did this, I looked out and some guy was like, <laughs> not doing it. Listen, do it, you'll love it. And um, so we went to Magnolia Silos, that's in Waco. But on the way down, we, we flew into Austin and uh, we were hanging out with some of our friends, Alex Tarno and his lovely wife, Melissa. And they were part of our church. In fact, he was part of the first graduating class of our youth group, Alex was. And so we were catching up with them. They live in Austin. They were showing us all the things. We were riding around on the scooters. We went to see the bats because that's the thing you do in Austin and it's not amazing, but we did it. And so we're doing all of this and um, while we're there, we started connecting about different things that we were doing. Of course, the, the question comes up, like, what are you binge watching now? Because that's what we do. We binge watch things on Netflix. And, um, and currently for us, it was Boy Meets World. Remember that show? Corey Matthews, Eric Matthews, Mr. Feeney. We, we, my wife and I were binge watching uh, Boy Meets World. And they're like, we are too. We love Boy Meets World. And my wife is like, we love it so much, we're even following the people on Instagram now. And she's like, oh, in fact, like, Ben Savage, who plays Corey Matthews, he's like, he often comes to Austin, Texas. Like, he, that's one of his favorite places. And so she, in that moment, decided to take her phone out and look and like, kind of find Ben Savage. And he had just po posted two minutes prior this post. Back in Austin. <laughs> and we're like, we are in the same place at the same time as one of our child celebrity heroes. Like, wouldn't it be hilarious if we ran into Ben Savage in Austin? Like, I mean, Austin's not huge, but it's big enough. It's probably never going to happen. So we're just joking about that the whole evening, and we're walking around. We're finally finishing up for the night. It's about 11.30 p.m., and we're walking back to the hotel. And this, uh, kind of in a busier area, this silver car pulls up, clearly an Uber, and um, out walks these two guys. And Melissa in our group, like, elbows us, and is like, that, I think that's him. I think, I think that's him. And sure enough, it was, it was Ben Savage. And I'm like, I am not throwing away my shot to get Ben Savage's attention. And so it's probably from me to that camera over there. And um, I, I mean, I'm like, be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool, don't ruin this. And so of course, I just look at him and I point and I scream his name as loud as I can. <laughs> I'm like, Ben Savage! And he, uh, he looks back, he's like, kind of, with the face of like, kind of didn't want people to know I was here, thanks. You know, now everyone knows. Like, if I was that desperate that Ben Savage would know that I existed, how desperate do you think this man was to get Jesus' attention? This was his only opportunity as Jesus, the guy who could heal blind people, was walking by. So what did he do? He began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Interesting thing here, this is the only time in Mark's gospel where Jesus' messianic title, son of David, is used by anyone except Jesus referring to himself. Son of David. Bartimaeus wouldn't have had a, a lot of theological training as a blind beggar, but he knew enough about Jesus of Nazareth and heard about what he was doing to recognize him as the Christ, as the Messiah. In other words, Bartimaeus is essentially saying, Jesus, the one who we've been waiting for, 
Have mercy on me. And this is really important, okay? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is being given something that you don't deserve. And if you look back at the exchange Jesus had with James and John, their request was essentially, Jesus, give us something that we don't deserve. Elevate our status. This exchange is completely different. Bartimaeus is saying, Jesus, Messiah, the Christ, my Savior, please help me out of what I do deserve. Please have mercy on me. A heart that fosters desperation for Jesus cries out for mercy. And if we continue to foster a desperate heart for Jesus and grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a third thing that happens. And this is a common theme throughout all of the New Testament with people who are following Jesus, people who grow in their relationship with Jesus, and it still happens to this day. Number three, expect criticism. It says, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus was at a level of desperation to get to his savior so much that he didn't care what others thought of him. He didn't care what others did to him. If anything, that opposition, that criticism fueled the fire to get to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, beggar. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, Bart, you're embarrassing yourself. Stop it. No one cares about you. He's not going to care. He's busy. Shut up. Stop it. I can tell you this. When you make it clear in your life that you know Jesus as your Savior and that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are sent on mission as a witness of Jesus Christ, the Bible's pretty clear when it says, in this world you will, not might, you will have trouble. Going public with your faith in Jesus is probably going to cost you something. And the question is, will the criticism that we face foster our desperation for Jesus all the more or cause us to shrink back in fear? Jesus said in John 15, 18, know that if the world hates you, they hated me first, it says. Just this week, I was working with one of our high school leaders at camp, and they were going through a, a little bit of an issue at camp, and I remember telling him, listen, I'm sorry you're having to go through this, and you're having these wrong things said about you. Just stay strong, man. To which he replied, you know what? It's actually kind of how I know God's working right now at camp. Do people at your job know that you're a Christian? Have you ever had a professor in college pick on you because of what you believe? Have you ever not got the position that you deserved at your workplace because they saw what you post online about Jesus? I was just talking with someone last night. That's exactly what happened. A major board position that was not given to him because they looked at his social media and how he was very clearly a Christian. Would anybody around you know that you desperately need Jesus? Because if we are followers of Jesus Christ and boldly serve as witnesses in our world, we should expect this. We should expect the hardship. We should expect to be criticized. We have a very real enemy that wants to block any and every proclamation of Jesus' lordship in our world. But we always have to understand this truth, that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Amen. And we don't get blocked by criticism. We get motivated by it, knowing that we get to share in the same suffering that Christ did and it's for his glory. And so Bartimaeus persistently and desperately cries out for mercy to his Savior in the only realistic opportunity that he had in what happens. Jesus responds to the desperate. And look how he responds. Number one, he stops. In the midst of this crowd, Jesus stops. It says, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. 
And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. In the middle of this crowd, pressing in on all sides, crowds in general being loud and hectic and crazy to begin with, and in the distance, in the middle of the din of all that noise, Son of David, Son of David, it pierces through to Jesus' ears, and he stopped. He was like, Who is it that knows who I am? Who is it that knows my title? Bring him to me. Remember, Jesus was on mission here. He was in the zone. He was on his way up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Not much time left. And yet he stops to give special attention here. And he tells, this is funny, he tells the same crowd that was telling Bartimaeus to shut up to bring him to him. That would have been a little embarrassing, wouldn't it have been? Their timbre changed pretty quickly. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. By the way, don't tell him what we were just saying to you because that would probably not go well for us. Bartimaeus then throws off the only thing he owned. He threw off his coat. He's like, I don't need anything else except this moment right now with Jesus. He ran to his Savior, and in that moment, Jesus was giving him special attention. And here's the second thing that Jesus does. He offers. Jesus offers help. It says, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus asked the same question, word for word, that he asked James and John. And instead of getting asked for platform or status, Bartimaeus mercifully asks him for the most basic necessity. Rabbi, I just want to see you. Jesus, I just want to see you face to face. The symbolism is rich here in this moment. Blindness being his sinful state, he saw that clearly. He calls out for mercy, knows that he doesn't deserve salvation, but appeals to God to save him from what he does deserve. And now by asking for sight, he's asking Jesus, he's essentially asking him, Savior, remove my sin. I don't need status. I don't need platform. I don't even need to be known at all. I just want to see you. Number three, Jesus heals 52, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Right in that moment, could you imagine what that would have been like for Bartimaeus? Being able to see when you haven't been able to see for so long, and notice this, who was the first person that, Je that Bartimaeus saw? Jesus. It was the face of Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus can heal us of our spiritual blindness. Every testimony needs to have that in order to be a real testimony. You understand, right? I once was blind, but now I see because the first person I saw in my salvation was Jesus Christ. In the middle of my desperation, he stopped. He offered help, and he healed me. And what did Jesus say healed the man? His faith. Faith in what? His faith as his, in Jesus as his only hope in the midst of his desperation. And then Jesus does this. He invites him along in the process. He invites him in relationship. That's the fourth thing. He invites. He invites us into a relationship with him. Inherent in this text is the invitation that Jesus gives this man through the healing. The healing is the invitation to follow. Jesus even gives him an out. Like in many of the cases that we see of Jesus healing people, what happens? They get healed and then they run off leaping and skipping and praising God and then we don't hear of them again. They just go off and do their thing. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made, your, made you well. Imagine if you weren't able to see for so long and now you could. Wouldn't there be a list of things that you'd wanna do, places you'd wanna go, things you would want to see? Uh, but Bartimaeus basically looks at Jesus like, go my way. My way got me here in the first place. Why would I? 
I'm not going my way. I'm going with you. You healed me from my blindness. I'm with you now. I don't care where you go. I'm, I'm with you no matter what. His salvation from his blindness was something he didn't use self, selfishly, but rather as a catalyst and a fuel to follow Jesus. Did you know this was the last miracle that Jesus performed before he went to his death? So when it says that Bartimaeus followed him, he was following him down the same road that was leading Jesus to Jerusalem where he would be delivered up to the chief priest to be killed like a lamb led to the slaughter. Bartimaeus wasn't like the other people who were healed who then maybe followed Jesus for a little while seeing him do more cool things and more miracles and more healings. Bartimaeus, the next thing that he went to see was his savior who saved him die on a cross. And yet he was resolved, and we know this because we know his name, that no matter what, he is a follower of Jesus Christ because I once was blind, but now I see. And so I end with this question for you today. Who do you look like more? Do you look more like the disciples or the blind guy in this story? You know what's funny? It's almost like Jesus was purposely making an example out of this blind man in contrast to his disciples in the moment. Because a blind beggar, get this, a blind beggar saw more clearly who Jesus was than his disciples who were with him the last three years, sat under all of his teaching, saw all of the miracles, saw all of the things, were with him with status. And yet this blind beggar calls out, Jesus, son of David, my Messiah, have mercy on me. Have we, like the disciples in this moment, been around Jesus for so long? I've known Jesus my whole life. I was practically born in the church. I've seen all of the things. I've traveled with him. I've become known to those around me. I'm a Jesus person. Everyone knows that. Have we forgotten our desperate need for salvation through him? Have we forgotten the fact that we don't deserve our next breath, and yet he gives it to us graciously? because he holds all things together by the word of his power. Have we covered up areas in our lives that we are toughening it out in our own strength because we don't want anyone to think that we are weak and that we would be desperate in any way? Here's a reality check that we need to remember often. We are weak. Jesus is strong. We are broken. Jesus is whole. We are hopeless. Jesus is hope. We are nothing. Jesus is everything. Alistair Begg, one of my favorite pe preachers, says this. You will never know Jesus Christ as a reality in your life until you know him as a necessity. You will never know to call out to Jesus to see until you understand that reality that you are blind. Do you get it? James and John were more blind than the blind guy to arrogantly assume Jesus as an accessory in their lives for their own power and status. We need to understand this. Jesus' purpose isn't to be convenient for us. Jesus' purpose is to save us. And I've been hearing more and more recently of people who are deconstructing Christianity and going through this deconstructionism or whatever it is, because they, and they say things like, you know, I just feel like with all of the stuff happening in our world and, and um, so, so many bad things that are happening that if, if there's a God out there who really loves people, like how could this stuff be happening? So I just don't know if I can believe in a God who allows this to happen. I don't know if I can believe in a God who allows my loved one to die of this terminal illness. I don't know if I can believe in a God who is allowing me to go through this hard thing in my life right now. We need to remember this. How you feel does not dictate what is true. 
How you feel does not dictate what is true. And maybe, just maybe, perhaps, we do deserve all of the bad things that our sin has caused in this world. The wages of sin is death, Scripture says. And so instead of deconstructing God, who we say is unfair and dangling our belief based on if he will give us what we want or not, why don't we call out to him for mercy and for pity, knowing that he is our only hope of saving us from our sins? Bartimaeus, in spite of the opposition, took that opportunity to call out to Jesus. And what's amazing is that he only had one opportunity. You know, we, we have endless opportunities to call out to the Lord. Do you know that? When Jesus rose from the dead, he, came, he, he, he defeated sin and death, and then he, he said, I'm sending you my helper, the Holy Spirit, to be the power of Christ in us, alive in us, the same power that rose Christ from the dead, to be alive in us as our helper. And we can call out through the Spirit, through the name of Jesus, to the, uh, the God of the universe. At any moment, we can do that. And we can call out in desperation. This guy had one chance. We have endless chances to call out to God. And yet we neglect to do it, don't we? Often we pray in so many different things, like, God, can you just do this? God, can you do this? God, can you do this? God, can you do this? When it's like, God, just have mercy on me. I don't deserve any of these things. I don't deserve anything. And we have people up front every weekend to pray with you, and maybe you're thinking to yourself when we say that, it's like, you know what, I probably do have something I should pray through. I probably have something that I need to talk with someone about in my life. Um, but, like, it's so visible up there. Like, people might know that I have problems. Guess what? You do have problems. I have problems. We all have problems. Why do you think Jesus went to the cross? Do you think Jesus went to the cross because we are so cool and we're so fun and we're so lovable? No, he went to the cross because we have problems. He went to the cross because he knows that our problems have created a distance between us and a holy God, that there is no possible way for us to earn our way back to God. So he came willingly like a lamb to the slaughter to die the death that we deserved on the cross to pave the way of salvation for us, that he offers us to us by faith. And he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, so that we not only are saved, but we can have life. It's this amazing collision of mercy and grace where we appeal to him for mercy. God, save us. And he not only saves us, but he gives us what we don't deserve, an eternal life and a relationship with him that can be fruitful, that can have joy and peace and comfort. What an amazing God we have. I tell you what, my prayer life is going to be changing drastically after looking at this story. Calling out for mercy is going to be a more regular thing in my life because I desperately need the Lord. I go through seasons in my own life where I just, sometimes you think you're doing really well or sometimes you think that you're just, yeah, you know what, God's probably really pleased with me. It's not that God wouldn't be pleased with us, but we go down a, a dangerous road there when we think that we're doing something to impress the Lord. I'm never going to be good enough. You're never going to be good enough. We will never be able to earn our salvation. No matter what we think about ourselves or how hard you work or what kind of business you grew or own or how important you think you are. And if you were offended by me just saying that now, it would do us well to remember that Jesus answered the request of a blind beggar and rebuke the request of the disciples in his inner circle who thought that they were something. Are you desperate for the Lord? 
If you are, take your opportunity today to call out to him in prayer, in worship, in your life, and cultivate a continued desperation in humility, in your heart, to always understand that if we, we are hopelessly blind apart from Jesus Christ. And Jesus stops to hear our desperation. Jesus hears our desperate call. Would we call out to him? That perspective will change everything in our lives. Let's pray. Father, you are a gracious, merciful, and faithful God. Have mercy on us, God, to think that we could earn our way to you or to think that we deserve anything in life, God. God, we appeal to you for pity, to look on any area of our lives, Lord, where we have become self-sufficient, thinking that we are um, doing everything right when, God, we know that there's nothing that we can do apart from your grace, apart from what you have done for us. God, for those in the room who don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus or who have never made a desperate call to you, God, I just pray that you would embolden their heart to see clearly who we are apart from you and to call out to you in desperation and to be able to experience the healing and the grace and the mercy that you do give us and the forgiveness of sins. You are a great God and we thank you for dying on the cross for us and we thank you for healing us and we thank you for being faithful to us even when we are faithless. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.